Greetings, Mission Gathering Christian Church. It's an honor to be with you. I'm very grateful uh, for this opportunity, and uh, thanks to uh, Devin Wright, um, whom, of course, I know down here in Claremont. And I want to say, first of all, that I'm, I'm very honored that you're engaging my work in my book on compassion. Uh, but even more than that, I'm just so impressed and grateful that you as a community are willing to explore what compassion might look like and how we can cultivate it, especially during these so incredibly challenging times where we are faced with, with violence and faced with threat and faced with danger and illness uh, all around us that a, a group of people is, is rising and saying, okay, how can we respond from our, our best self? How can we respond to all of these challenges from a place of compassion? Um, I'm very grateful um, that you all are willing to do that. And I'm wanting to say a few words today about what I see as the invitation of compassion in the midst of especially violent and violating circumstances. What does it look like and what does it mean for us to, to embody an empowered and bold compassion in the midst of the injustices that we are facing? And as you've gathered by now, I'm sure if you've been looking at my book that I, I love to tell stories. And so I, I'll start with a story that kind of frames for me uh, what I see as the invitation. And then I'll unpack it a little bit after that. But this is a story of a, of a person who's gone through our Radical Compassion training program. Her name is Leah Rosen. And Leah is a, a lesbian woman, a rabbi, who was uh, taking on a new synagogue in the Central Valley of California a few years ago. And it was right during the height of all of the controversy around uh, marriage equality here in California. There was a measure on the ballot that was trying to ban marriage equality. And, and uh, in the midst of all this, she and her partner moved to this small farming town in the Central Valley. And uh, she was a, a, a rabbi at the local synagogue where she was also opening up a, an LGBTQIA plus uh, awareness uh, center there to advocate and to help teach the public uh, about the, the realities and, and uh, dynamics of, of such folks in our world. And one day she's coming out of her uh, office there at the synagogue to her car in the parking lot. And there on her windshield is a pamphlet and it's put in place by a stone big enough to be thrown through a plate glass window. And the pamphlet is advertising the, an upcoming rally against marriage equality that was going to be that Saturday. On this, at, noon, at noon, on the, uh, the, right near the, the, the town square there in the, in, the, in the town where she lived at. And handwritten in the corner was scrawled, I dare you to try and stop us. Now, Leah knew who it was that put that pamphlet there. Uh, when she and her partner moved in, kind of across the street at Caddy Quarter, one house is the chairperson of the a caucus that is protesting marriage equality. He was a grandfather, a, a Catholic deacon in town. And when her and her partner moved in, he was actually playing with his grandchildren in the front yard. When he saw that it was a lesbian couple that was moving across the street, he herded his grandkids into the house, immediately got a dozen banners protesting uh, marriage equality and placards and planted them in his front yard. Every time that Leah would leave the house, she could just feel him in the living room window of his own house, staring at her, fuming. But this was the first outright act of intimidation that he had demonstrated to her. Well, you can imagine what kind of what happened within her. I mean, part of her was like, oh, yeah, you want to see us? We'll be there right across the street, mouthing off word for word against uh, your protests. 
Part of her, though, is thinking to herself, my gosh, though, I got to live across the street with this guy. We got to live in the same community. Maybe I just forget about it, let him have its way and not worry about it. But that just felt dismissive and dishonoring of herself and her own dignity. And so what did she do? She started going through our program, the processes that you've been studying. She said, wait a minute. Let me just catch my breath here. Let me take the U-turn. Let me listen to what's going on inside of me here. Let me get back to my best self here. And as she listened to her different reactivities, the different parts of her, she realizes that on the one hand, she absolutely wanted to stand in her dignity. She did not want to in any way apologize for who she was and whatever she was going to do, that she could be firm and bold and self-confident in her own worth and value. And on the other hand, she realized that she wanted to be able to respond to this gentleman in a way that could somehow invite community or connection or understanding, a way of living in the same town together for the years to come. And as she began to be aware that she really wanted to respond to him in that way, she began to get curious about him. So she did a little bit of research and found out he was a Catholic deacon in town. He uh, had a soft spot for animals, abused animals. Uh, he would do an annual fundraiser and donate all the proceeds to a local animal shelter. And Leah could really appreciate that. She had just been asked to serve on the board at, at an animal shelter. She had a similar kind of care for animals. And she also found out that he had this kind of particular passion for making chili. I mean, to hear him tell about it, he'd make the best chili in the state of California and his annual fundraiser, he would bring out the pots and he'd sell his chili to all the folks that would come by. And it gave Leah an idea. So that Saturday, when there was a group of 12 standing on the corner, protesting marriage equality with all of their, their banners and posters, across the street in the park, Leah and a group of her friends put off a chili cook-off. They got a whole bunch of folks, they made chili, they got games for the kids, they got balloons, they played music, and they decided they're giving all the proceeds to the local animal rights shelter. Well, as people are coming into the center of the town, they're attracted to all this energy and the music and the balloons, and they go over and taste the chili. These protesters, they get the wind goes out of their sails, and so they start placking up their stuff. And as they're starting to go away, Leah walks across the street to the Catholic deacon and says, uh, excuse me, but I understand that you make a pretty mean bowl of chili. I make the best chili in the state of California. Well, yeah, that's what I hear. Hey, would you be willing to come on over here and be our honorary judge? You see, we have all these different types of chili and we need someone to tell us which one is the best and you sound like an expert. And hey, all the proceeds are going to the animal rights shelter. It's for a great cause. Well, what can he say? Okay, well, all right, he walks on over. Bring all your friends. We got free chili for everybody. Well, he states the chili. Yeah, these are pretty good, but it's not as good as my chili. And he goes, I got an idea. Why don't we really do this right? Why don't we put together a chili cook-off for the whole city? You get your networks, I get my networks, we'll invite everybody there. We'll give all the money to the proceeds, all of it will go to the local animal rights shelter. What do you say? Well, it sounds like a good cause. So the two of them put this on. It goes so well, they raise so much money that Leah goes to the board and says, what do you think about inviting this guy to the, join the board? He's got such a heart and he's got a, a way with making fundraising activities. And well, sure. And so she says, hey, would you enjoy uh, being on the board? He goes, well, yeah, I guess so. You, you know, we live right across the street from each other. Why don't we drive together to go to the monthly board meetings? Well, I guess we could do that. And so they start driving to the board meetings every month. And after a few months, that started to turn into stopping for coffee on the way to the board meetings. Twelve months go by. 
They have not mentioned a single thing about marriage equality. And this man can't stand it, but he's starting to like Leah. I mean, her indefatigable kindness, her, her love for animals, the, just the spirit that she has, the way she just is always friendly and treating him with kindness, and he just likes her. And so over a year goes by, and they're sitting for coffee. They've never once mentioned anything about these issues. And finally, he says, uh, you know, I, I, I hear that you're a, a lesbian woman. She goes, uh, yeah, I, I am. He goes, oh, yeah, well, you know, I don't really know much about lesbians. Um, so tell me, I mean, did, have you always been a lesbian? And how do you know that you're a lesbian? And what's it like to be a lesbian in the world today? And, and so Leah started to share with him for the first time a little bit of her experience, a little bit of her story. And, and then it dawned on her and she said, have you ever actually known a lesbian woman, a gay man? And then it comes out. Well, as a matter of fact, he did. A number of years ago, his younger brother came out as gay. He came out when he had been diagnosed with AIDS, back when AIDS was a death sentence. He came back to the small town and found his church ostracized him, his family ostracized him. So he went back to San Francisco where he died alone. And as he shares this, Leah can see in his eyes just a little bit of that regret and second guessing and little grief. And, and she says, finally, you know, in my tradition, we like to say Kaddish for people who've passed away. And it would be my honor if I could say Kaddish for your brother. And if you'd like, you could join me. And he said, you know, I'd like to do that. And so this lesbian rabbi and this conservative Catholic deacon go into the synagogue together where they say Kaddish for this young man who had died some 15, 20 years earlier. For me, Leah really embodies a radical compassion, a bold compassion. And she really embodies the principles that, that we teach and, 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 and talk about at the Center for Engaged Compassion and the work that we do. And what she embodies is a, is a number of principles that I just kind of want to walk us through. First of all, violence and violation is an affront to our world. No one deserves to be abused or violated. No one deserves to be discriminated by virtue of gender or race or orientation or ethnicity or religion, politics. No one deserves to have their houses of worship vandalized or their businesses looted. Nobody. Violence is an affront and needs to be stood up to and confronted and transformed. That being said, the traditional ways that we normally respond to violence, that fight or flight options, they really are not satisfying. I mean, to flee and just kind of pretend that it's not there and just adapt to it and try to adjust and get on with it allows violence and abuse to go on unchecked and it diminishes our own humanity at the same time. Whereas just fighting in kind, meeting violence with violence, hatred with hatred, yelling with yelling, it only escalates, it only intensifies the conflict. It in no way brings resolution or finding common ground. So what might we do? Well, Leah, what Leah demonstrates for us is 
we do have a grounded self within us. We do have an essence. We have an eye that we can find in the middle of the storm. And in that essence, when we are there, that's where our capacities for, for grounded, compassionate, creative, non-reactive responses to violence and violation can be found. It is hard to access that, but we can do it. Leah demonstrates that. In the midst of all the intimidation, she gets back to her center and finds that grounded place from which creativity can open up, responses that she had no way considered earlier. The other insight is that, but we also have our parts. We have our interior movements, our, our reactivities and activations within us. And one of the radical things of our teaching is that every single one of those interior movements and reactivities is rooted in some positive intention. It is a cry aching to be heard, some need that is longing to be met, some deep core value that is feeling threatened, some old wound that is being brushed against like a bone bruise. And the invitation is when we find ourselves victimized and we naturally become reactive, catch our breath. Let's first take the U-turn instead of just responding in kind. Let's take the U-turn and listen to the deep need, the deep cry underneath the various impulses within us. Leah does that and realizes that what she really needs is to stand true in her dignity, to in no way disparage or apologize for that. She can be confident and bold in that and yet also find ways to try to engage in a different energy with this man, to try to extend love and kindness and compassion and collaboration around common ground as a way to, to ease the tensions and perhaps bring some transformation. When she is able to do that, get grounded in herself, listen to what she really needs in the midst of this, She's able to see this gentleman with different eyes. He becomes more than just this intimidating person that she's fighting against on this issue. He becomes a human being. He's got dimensions. He's a grandfather. He's a deacon. He's a person who loves animals. He's a guy with this peculiar fascination with chili and a pride in that. He takes on some texture and three-dimensionality so she can see him a little bit more clearly and opens up more possibilities of relating to him than she would if she's only seeing him out of her own reactivity. And when she begins to see him in that way and have curiosity, she can recognize that, however deeply buried it might be, his own reactivities, his own ideologies, his own parts of him, they too are rooted in some deep need, deep wound, deep value that is feeling threatened to him, and he's fighting for his life. Can you imagine why this man has to fiercely fight against these issues? If he allowed in his own mind even the possibility that it's okay, that it's part of just nature, it's part of God's design that we have diversity, including in our orientation, if that enters his mind, everything he did to his brother would have been for nothing. The overwhelming grief 
the, the overwhelming regret that he would have to endure would feel unlivable. So to protect him, he's fierce in trying to eliminate this, not only from the laws, but eliminate it from the world. What we also can see is that when people are not heard, when they're not met at that deep cry, that deep wound, that deep need, they are only going to intensify their entrenchment in their ideologies. If we try to shame him, if we try to debate him, if we try to ridicule him, if we just try to out-lobby him, interiorly, interiorly he's hearing, yeah, that's right, this is not a safe space. This is not. I need to fight even harder. And conversely, when someone can be heard at the level of their deep cry, their deep the possibility emerges that their own ideologies and reactivities can relax a bit. An openness can emerge. And when that happens, we see that as hard as, as it is to believe sometimes, even our most serious opponents, they have a true self within them too. They have an essence of humanity. He has capacities for kindness and friendship even with somebody who's living in a way he has no understanding of. He even has capacities to grieve his brother in ways that he did not know and to endure what was emerging for him. He can be restored to his best self. What that is saying is that it gives a place where we can understand and have compassion for people who are engaged in offensive, difficult, or violating behavior without agreeing with them and without legitimating the violence. We can understand and commit to treating them with their humanity. That's what Leah does. And for Leah, the end game is not just that we pass a legislation. The end game is that we learn to live in a world together even in the midst of our difference. Her end game is, I want to win over this person's heart. I want to find a way for us to have right relationship. And so I'm going to meet him with kindness, with care, with understanding. And she's playing the long game here. While never denying my own dignity and my own truth of what I'm about in this world. For me, that's the invitation of embodying compassion, embodied a, comp a bold and an empowered compassion in the midst of injustice and violence. Leah is a warrior and she's fighting with the weapons of love and compassion. I look forward to being with you later this week and once again, thank you for your own commitments. This world is aching for people who embody that spirit of emboldened compassion. Thank you.